Hey, Mark. Hey, Kevin. We are here with Help Is Not On The Way. Yeah, well, I have Mark Dustin here and Kevin Ballman. And uh, I, I know we both know what, what the other is doing today, so it uh, should be fun. You've got a one we're revisiting, right? Yeah, I, I'm really hoping this goes well because, you know, we did this, we did mine once before, and but we had a tape delay issue, and this happened a couple times with us. We've got some dead topics, yeah. but they're so awesome. But then you don't want to do it right away again. Yeah. Or you're going to be, but anyway, so mine is, so we, because you want to have fresh ideas and not try to be re-remembering what you thought of last time, but mine is about a couple of brothers um, who, well, well, they were hoarders and about a hundred years ago, give or take. And um, boy, it is a fun topic. Hoarders to the extreme. Yes. Very too much to the extreme. And mine, mine is, um, it's pretty funny. I, I hadn't thought to do this one until just recently, but it's Jimmy Hoffa. Oh. And, and uh, the reason it's kind of funny that I didn't think to do this is that uh, where I grew up, there was a restaurant called Maccas Red Fox, which was apparently the last place he was seen. Like in a parking uh, lot or something. Or, yeah, yeah, I remember he was, he, was, he went to the, to the restaurant to see somebody, and then he went and made a phone call outside. Yeah, and then was, that, that, that was, was it. it huh? yeah. But, you know, the, the, the thing that's interesting about it, I mean, besides the fact that nobody knows what the heck happened to him, is kind of the backstory. I mean, it's... Uh, he, you know, um, full of corruption and scandals and other people. Like dying. our lives. Yeah, yeah, Like exactly. the average person's life. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's amazing how much stuff, and this is probably going to highlight it. I don't know a heck of a lot about this, and I want you to dive in, and I know you're going to, and it's going to be really fascinating, but it does, we're, let's just keep this in mind the entire time, like how much stuff some people like are meddling in. Yeah, it it's crazy, and it's all 100% about power. Power, oh, yeah. You know, and and uh, power and it, what's kind of funny about it is it's like power by being the president of a union. Yeah. But, you know, mm-hmm. everybody's got to have their thing, I guess. He was he was born in 1913 in Indiana mm-hmm. and he disappeared in 1975, um, though they they didn't declare him dead until 1982. But uh, he was um, his father died when he was seven. And his family moved from Indiana to Detroit in 1924 when he was 11. And mm-hmm. so he spent the rest of his life in that, that area. Mm-hmm. So he had uh, he left school when he was 14 to support his family. He was working manual labor jobs. I mean, can you, this quickly, yeah. 14 to help support your family. Yeah. I, I think, you know, it's, it's amazing I, what, we're, you know, what we think now, uh, what's hard for kids. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. my, uh-huh. my great grandmother would tell us or my grandmother would tell us about walking along the railroad track, looking for pieces of coal that fell off the train to yeah. take home and help heat the house. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. A little, little bit, a little bit tougher childhood. But he, he worked at a grocery store chain as a teenager. And this is kind of like the beginning of the whole thing. They were poorly paid. There was, you know, no job security and there were poor working conditions. Um, and at one point, the uh, the workers are so unhappy they try to to form a union, and and Hoffa is is uh, involved, and he is so impresses his his uh, fellow workers that he kind of starts to rise up the, mm-hmm. the food chain and the whole you know uh, labor um, effort. He li- and he leaves the chain in 1932 after refusing to work for an abusive 
foreman and and because of his union work because he's now part of a union and he, he becomes a union organizer for local 299 of the teamsters of detroit 1933 mm-hmm. and this is the teamsters is where he eventually becomes president of he's like 20 years old now right so that's pretty impressive yeah yeah he's doing pretty well um when he joined the Teamsters, which is that's short for International Brotherhood of Teamsters, and this union, I'm going to kind of talk about what is the the the, the Teamsters um, because it's like this is this is where the meat of the story is. is Absolutely. This whole thing. He, um, but he when he joins, they have seventy five thousand members, uh, and he works to consolidate, you know, lots of like smaller unions into one overarching body and he manages over a 20 year period to grow the membership to over a million. So he really is successful Mm -hmm. in that respect. And they have this strategy of, you know, strikes and boycotts and, and organizing that is like this long game. It takes years at each of these places, but eventually they become one of the most powerful unions in the country. And this is all pretty new because, you know, it wasn't long before this that either unions didn't exist or and keeping in mind like unions may have, have changed a lot over the years they, they they they've sort of become the pendulum swing to the other side of the corporate um sort of exploitation but they ha- they are the entirely opposite to the to the core and nobody's and with the hope of sort of like hopefully with the hope of like landing in the middle but you know you read like upton sinclair's the jungle and stuff oh yeah which is a fantastic book and um and it's just but it's just about how companies would just grind you oh yeah and throw you away yep. and they could and they would today to this day if it weren't for unions right but that said they also themselves have become well and what's amazing i mean is when you start like talking about this it's like you see what the unions were like the what the what the union was to the rank and file to the union members was different than what it was to the leadership. Sure, and but you can see right away. So you know, so what is the International Brotherhood of Teamsters anyway? But so the, back in 1887, the American Federation of Labor helped form local unions of Teamsters, and Teamsters were truck drivers. Mm-hmm. Well. Back then, they weren't truck drivers, but back then they were like, you know, driving okay. a carriage with horses, yeah. delivering goods. Yeah. And so they tried to organize all of those people to give them better conditions, higher pay, whatever, probably control ah, so that they oh could, yeah. so that they could extort money from, you know, oh, people yeah. who need their goods delivered, right? Sure. Yeah. You don't pay, we strike. A different type of racket. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but basically, they joined two unions together: the Teamsters National Union and the Team Drivers International Union, to become the International Brotherhood of Teamsters under the AFL, which eventually becomes the AFL-CIO. Does the okay? So this makes sense. The the Teamsters are because you drove a team of horses. Yes. That, I've never understood. Why I know Teamsters. I was like, why don't you just call yourself the mobsters? Yeah, the truck driver guys, <laughs> right. yeah, or whatever the heck it is. Yeah, I, that's what yeah, Teamsters the, sounded just, to me. Yeah, it was like, yeah. it's like, yeah, it, totally, yeah. It's like organized crime. Yeah, which, as it turns it out, turns it out yeah. for a period of time. I mean, the corruption was probably there, you know, the whole time, but it certainly was the present. It was present at the start of the IBT, the inner, the the Teamsters. In 1903, Cornelius Shea, which is could be a whole nother like you no. know topic Hold of on discussion. To that. Put that one in your pocket, right? He was elected the first president of the union. Um, in an attempt to prevent his election, though, two opponents accused him of embezzlement. So it's like immediately 
as soon as the union has formed, it's already got problems. Eating its own. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, They could bring, uh, let's see, the the Teamsters were were very important to the labor movement at the time. Probably for a long time they were super important Mm -hmm. because they were so large Mm. that they could bring things to a halt. They could like stop the city from functioning. And they, nobody can get anything delivered. Of, absolutely. You think about like, you know, goods and services, what we live with right now. I mean, the pandemic stops goods and services from traveling overseas and then suddenly you can't get anything. Yeah. Anything. And we, we saw this a year and a half ago with like bare shelves. Yep. Same, and, yeah, same thing. Different. Remember the ship and the... <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the Concordia, not the Concordia. That was the one that the tipped Panama over in Italy. Canal. The other one in the Panama right. Canal. Yeah. Van I mean, driving yeah, or whatever. Everything stops. Yeah. yeah. And from like pineapples are rotting in their, in right. their Nobody containers. can get through. So, you know, the, the, as a consequence of their importance, though, was the ability to demand bribes. Mm-hmm. So, ex- again, like what we were talking about, extortion and bribery and whatnot. But the Teamster leaders then could make a ton. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't really, it's probably kind of like, you know, a president we have known that didn't take a salary because that's not where he was making the money. Yeah, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's the same thing here. I don't think that your salary as the president of the Teamsters was like consequential. That's yeah. not, yeah. That didn't, that's meaningless. Yeah, I'll, I'll work for, I'll work, yeah, work for, for nothing. I'll work for Absolutely. Because if, right. if I get, as long as I get like, you know, have the power, right. I, you know, I'm coming out of this with all sorts of. If, um, if I can just say extort, you know, it's, yeah. money from our, our customers. Yeah, it's like the mobsters. Like, yeah, right. we don't need to make money off of the, like, you know, the, the, the off of the Italian restaurant. That's Sorry, right. all, not all mobsters are Italian, but uh, <laughs> in certainly this case, a lot were, of them might have been. Might have been in this case. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. So, you know, they were the, the entire Teamster union was known f- for corruption under uh, Shay's leadership. Uh, and, and, and in fact, there was a there was a big strike going on with twenty five thousand Teamsters. This was in support of uh, like a whole other you know set of working class people. So they, they tended to they would go join uh, other strikes mm-hmm. they would strike in support of other people oh sure and so this well, was for like building... tailors or something like that sure they're building a coalition right they're yeah building... now, the leadership didn't like this though they were not into this oh. because they they want to focus on you know they, they got a plan mm-hmm. and supporting tailors isn't it they're watering down their 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 brand yeah i mean really they're all about rating other unions and you know right. taking their membership so they can build their support and extort even more money i yeah. mean they, they need a lock they need a niche and they need a lock on that right? oh yeah like absolutely. you can't spread yourself too thin Mm-mm. yeah well, the um, tailors come into your union so that your union is more that many more people strong right. rather than being separate where they could one day like not agree with you on something and right. then you know and so it, what's funny though is so uh, he is found in 1905 during this big strike to be living in a brothel. Hoffa. No, no, this is that. Oh, Shay. Yeah. Cornelius Shea, Yeah. Yeah. And I know we're talking about a lot of other people, but it's just like it all leads. It's just this. It's just like a pyramid of corruption, Mark. It's like a several train, right. <laughs> like locomotives headed down the yeah. tracks, headed to the same crossing. Uh, he was he's living in a brothel, keeping a 19 year old mistress and hosting parties while his, you know, his union members are striking and walking the streets and probably not making any money. Like in like the cold Detroit winter. Right, exactly. Um, <clears throat> even though uh, his corruption um, leads to a, a lack of public support and the whole strike fails mm-hmm. be- pretty much because of him, he still has support 
from the union. So he manages to stay on. He ends up um, he, he ends up being tried for charges stemming from the strike and vows to resign once the trial ends. Um, but of course he Let doesn't. Me guess. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but he did lose member support. <laughs> uh, and so eventually he's su- succeeded by this guy Daniel Tobin, who was president of the union until Hoffa arrived. Um, and the corruption under Tobin just continues to increase. And in 1941, the Teamsters is considered to be the most corrupt union in the cur- in the cu- country. And, and probably huge, though. And, yeah, huge. And the most abusive towards its own members. God. <laughs> like, does this parallel anything that's happened in recent history, Kevin? I just, it's like, unbelievable, is there some human right? nature thing here? We're pretty obvious it, here. It, huh? And, and I, 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 after reading this whole thing and kind of rereading it and rereading it, I feel like there was a... Stockholm syndrome that goes on with these people because it's like they destroy everything that they came here to do for you, and yet you're like, he's got my support. Ra ra ra. Right. Ra ra ra. Yeah. yeah. But he's here for me. But he's here for me. Yeah. I'm gonna vote for him again. Uh, It's it's it it is. It's 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 being they're being groomed. It's a grooming, Mm -hmm. and it's really interesting to me how people are sort of so. There are certain people like this Cornelius guy. And some people that were, I mean, tons of these people who were so intuitively understanding about the concept of grooming like that. Right. You know? Whether it be for, you know, you know, like, like this sort of thing. I mean, like cult grooming, like you're basically like how many people have this natural instinct to well, do and this? And I also think now having seen that it was like leader after leader after leader mm-hmm. and how they take each other down to assume leadership. I think they come in and they go, look what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And look what everybody lets him do. I want to be that. Yeah, I want to do so that. So it's like you, there's probably some innate, you know, mm-hmm. kind of sense that these people have, but there's also like, yeah. it's on display. It's such a weird. Nobody gets in trouble for it. Like, I, like, like it's such a weird envy, you know? Yeah. Like, oh man, I envy the people, the guy who can control all these people and, 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 and make their lives miserable and have them thank him for right. it. Right. You know, and, and Isn't that bizarre? It's so bizarre. But that's that's the envy. That's what you want. You don't want to right. go like, oh, that's terrible. I want to flip that. I want right. to be the guy who does the good. But in a, in a sense, some, that just doesn't work. you got to be and, the... And, and no, no good deed goes unpunished. So probably if you do the right thing, you probably get crushed by the guy who's doing the wrong thing. Absolutely. right? He comes in and does something and gets you out of power. Yep. Which we'll, we'll hear that some of that kind of stuff happened. But um, in 1948, Hoffa... And a rival, um, the then uh, vice president, Dave Beck, joined together to take control. So mm-hmm. here, here we are already. They're like, yeah, we're going to take this Tobin guy down and we're going to get his mm. spot. Um, all along, the corruption continues with extortion, bribery, embezzlement, racketeering, beatings, vandalism, and bombings. It's exact. I mean, no wonder you compared it to like the mob, yeah. mobsters, teamsters. Yeah, uh, just a couple letters well, off. And well, it, it does kind of sort of seem to um, like tentacles from each side kind of start to intertwine like mm-hmm. roots from trees that grow underground yeah, and yeah. wrap oh, around. Oh yeah. And the fact, yeah. and, but just under the, under the guise of legitimacy, yes. you know, and, 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 and helping them, the, the common man. It, it kind of becomes just outright corruption. Yeah. And like transparent. Which is kind of like what the, what the mob mafia, what that stuff was too, because they would right. support the neighborhood. They would do good things in the neighborhood. That's right. But then they would do terrible things to people, and people looked the other way because, hey, suddenly on a on a Sunday, they're you know they they've got a you know whatever they've hijacked something, and they're gonna 
help out. They're going to give you a couple bucks if you need something. Well, or... you have two options, Mark. Look the other way and take take our little, you know, uh, you know, uh, donation here <laughs> yeah, of whatever. Yeah. Or get some broken kneecaps and maybe your your dad gets a beating. Yeah, thrown off the right. roof of an apartment exactly. building. Yeah, he fell, sort of fell in a knife on the... nine times. <laughs> nine times. <laughs> uh, so there's... Uh, um, Beck becomes president in 1952 and Hoffa vice president. Though Hoffa immediately is kind of like, yeah, this Beck guy is pretty weak. I don't like him. And he starts to challenge him. But his his challenge creates a big scandal because Hoffa, in his challenge to Beck, uh, meets with a mobster named Johnny Dio mm-hmm. in 1956. And this is to create... Fake local unions. They call them paper locals. Mm-hmm. So they're just paper only. They don't exist. But it's to um, boost his uh, delegate totals. Yeah. So each local must have a certain number of delegates that are going to support him for his <laughs> you know, yeah. effort to become yeah, the president. Yeah. Um, and so the because of this, though, because of this uh, you know, meeting with the, the mobster, now... Um, the government, the federal government is like, whoa, what's going on here? And so this begins two uh, congressional investigations of Beck and Hoffa, um, which also um, uh, coincidentally helps launch the political career of Robert F. Kennedy, which is another one we could go into that, you know, like. That's a good help. Is not a Yeah. Problem. Another, as oh, yeah. we mentioned, 60s assassination, right? Oh, the assassination the assassination game back then. It yeah. was a window of time. Where, yeah, constant, it yeah. seemed like. Mm-hmm. Um, during this, several, you know, several team, Teamsters uh, staffers are charged with contempt of Congress. Records um, are lost or destroyed. Um, the wiretaps of Hoff and Dior are played and evidence is unearthed unearthed of a mob sponsored plot in which Oregon teamster teamsters would seize control of state legislature, state police and state attorney general's office through bribery, extortion and blackmail. It's incredible. It's incredible. But so the union members lose faith in Beck. Yeah. Not, not Hoffa, but Beck. Yeah. Cause he's the top he's dog. The, yeah, he's yeah, the yeah, top he's dog. The so he ends up having to resign. And so in March of 1957, Hoffa is also arrested for allegedly attempting to bribe a Senate aide during these <laughs> investigations. He denies the charges, but, you know, even more investigations ensue. There's additional arrests and indictments that happen because of this. But none of him. Right, That's right. That's the he, thing, right? He's he's the one who doesn't get arrested. I mean, he does it, eventually go to prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's got he's to gotta, he's gotta get out of jail free card. Uh-huh. Um, uh, let's see. So Beck ends up appearing before the U.S. Senate Select Committee on Improper Activities in Labor and Management, mm-hmm. and he pleads the fifth 117 times. <laughs> <laughs> now, the AFL-CIO is getting really, like, perturbed here. They're like, this is not looking good. And so they're starting to say, we do that, like... We're, they, they come up with some rule where if you plead the fifth during a congressional investigation into corruption, you cannot be president anymore. But nice. but Beck is like, f you, yeah. no way. We're not we're not instituting those rules. <laughs> 
So eventually the AFL-CIO... We're masters of not doing what someone else says is right. that wants us to do, That's by the right. way. I mean, like, we yes, we did do it le- legitimately with the labor stuff, but we learned our lesson. We learned how to say, no, we're not doing that, and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> Immediately after Hoffa's testimony in 1957, he takes control because Beck is resigned. So right, yeah. as the vice president, he's acting president or whatever. Beck, though, gets approval from the board to establish a $1 million fund to defend himself and the union from the committee's investigations. <laughs> but, yeah. but that really makes the union members mad. Oh, They're yeah. like, well, what good. is going on? So a, I mean, it's a lot of money any day, but it's oh, a lot, lot of money then. in 1957. Yeah, I mean, there was so much going on. He had um, he had been the, the recipient of several loans from the union. And at least one was never repaid, which he admitted to. It was like three hundred or five hundred thousand dollars back then. Uh, and and so in 1957, he's also because of those loans, he's indicted for tax evasion. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like you know, this is the way you get crooks, right? You don't get them for the all yeah, the things the they Rico, did, right? You got to get them for the Rico. Yeah, exactly. yeah it's got to be some sort of like tax he evasion. He didn't pay taxes on all the drugs he sold. It's like how they get Capone. It's right. how they got like it's how they get everyone. We can't prove that he sold the alcohol or yeah. the drugs, but we can prove he got the money from it, oh, and yeah. he didn't pay taxes. And on he didn't it. pay taxes on it. It's like a civil suit after right. you've been like, it's like, oh yeah, but wrongful death, but yeah, but you didn't get committed like control for the death. Yeah. That's the part. That sounds like another someone we won't mention who's currently being investigated by the, what, New York Attorney General's office oh, yeah. because of things like that. Wrongful death. Yeah. Civil well, suit. Yeah. And, and well, another someone who uh, for, um, I think it was also, wasn't it for like fraudulently inflating the value of their <laughs> business holdings while also fraudulently... Uh, deflating the value. This sounds politically motivated, Kevin. Yes, it and does. we shouldn't get off topic no, here too much shouldn't. with a politically, clearly politically motivated. Right. I'm sure that this was all product, uh, politically motivated too, though. I mean, Hoffa was just a just a normal guy He's trying to help the nice right, trying to help guy. the teamsters, yeah, the little guy, know? help the little yep. guy get a leg up. Exactly. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. He, was, he wasn't there for himself. No, gosh. Uh, so Beck Beck retires. Although Hoffa had additional indictments himself, he remained popular with the union's members, and he was elected to, to, to presidency in uh, October of 1957. Though, the court says, you can't take power unless you're acquitted for your wiretapping trial, which then ends up um, ending in a hung trial. Mm-hmm hung jury, uh, in 1957. So he assumes the presidency in 1958. Um, and, and in, in that time, the AFL CIO does eject them. They're no longer under that. And I went to the AFL CIO website and looked at their union, their member unions, and they're certainly, still, they're not there yet. Um, Hoffa did achieve his goal, though, of unifying, you know, all the freight drivers under a single collective bargaining agreement. They called it the National Master Freight Agreement in 1964. But he was also doing things like using the pension fund to make loans to the mafia for the construction of Las Vegas. (laughs) Oh, and, and, you know, personal loans for... Uh, associates and relatives of Teamster officials. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, you know, I mean, just taking good the... Good business. Right, good yeah. business. Doing good business. He's, he, again, he was just there for the little guy. Yeah, he's just give me your pay, Give me your dues, 
I'll set it all aside. And I'm sure all that in a like, pension, and I'll loan it to some mafia guys hey, over here. Look back on it. This is like this is like trickle down economics. This is this is. The, I mean, think about how all the work the Teamsters have gotten over the years for having all that uh, Las Vegas having been built up to this to what it's become. You know? Yeah. He had. He was a visionary, Kevin. I mean, I. There, Sometimes you got to break a few eggs. You know, there wouldn't. What, what, uh, what was um, trying to think? There wouldn't be the Venetian. There wouldn't be. And uh, I think yeah. about. Uh, all the water things, you know, that went on it's with true. that, and all—I mean, think of—and think about um, all the barrels that they had to sell for the bodies they threw in Lake Mead. That's true. I mean, that's like there's I mean, a whole business, right? Barrel makers, you know, those guys need to work. Yeah, uh, the people who make lead shoes—I mean, cement yeah. shoes. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's a, it's a small market, <laughs> right. but you know, they're out there. They're working hard. That's like a mom and pop craft, you know, yeah. business yeah. right there. <laughs> yeah, you got to know a guy who knows a guy. But about, about how? Uh, I mean, okay, so size ten—is mm-hmm. it—is it like? Is a normal width, you know, like D, or is it like E, double E? What kind of weight are we trying to? Right. What are trying to, kind of weight are we trying to keep right, down? Right, right. I mean, is he like a three hundred seventy-five pound guy, or is this like you know? Yeah, you know. Is this like you know toothpick, you know, hundred and ten yeah, pound guy? We we, we we charge by the weight uh, we're trying to keep down. I mean, know? the cost of cement is going up. More cement, you know, <laughs> the more cement you need, the more it's going to cost you. You know, <laughs> you want to get rid of someone who weighs more. Hey, and, that's all. That's on you, man. You got to pay for it. Uh, and and is it cement shoes and in a barrel? That's just, wow. Yeah. Ooh, that's that's like the deluxe yeah. package. <laughs> that's the deluxe package. <laughs> it's like it's like it's like going to a car dealership or like or like a funeral home. We'd like to um upgrade you to would you like the right. would you would you like a private room and would you like um uh, uh silver paint Plating on the handles. some ivory, uh, you know, fake, oh, some faux ivory handles. We could do a silk interior. It's like, no, we're just going to, how, uh, so do you want, we could do, we could mix some color into the cement. If you like a green boot or you maybe you like a blue boot, what do you like? We go straight cement. That's the cheapest version. What's, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite color? We'll do that. We'll throw it in for free. We'll throw in your favorite color for free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, would you would you like these uh would you like some like some an undercoating you know it keeps it from keeps the cement from you, you don't want your barrel to rust you don't want that barrel rusting no no no, no. you want to have you want to want to get a the spray body coating needs to stay inside we're gonna get a we're gonna get a permea- impermeable water repellent surface we're gonna spray it with that they, they probably have a different name for body too they probably don't just say the body right they probably have like uh like the guest the the, the john doe or the guest or it's yeah. gonna be something, something like that like the client would the client, client uh, what's the weight of the client? Right. <laughs> the client. <laughs> I think I think we could be mobsters, Mark. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I don't have the nerve to be a mobster, no, but, no, but no, I no. I have the creativity. Yeah, yeah. I right. would wait if I have if I already had an ulcer. And like and and then have, have like severe anxiety attacks. Like at that point, I might as well go all in. Why it's not? Like, it's like right? you're already doing the doing the the time. You might right. as well do the crime. That's right. But right now, I'm I'm kind of maintaining, so I'm gonna keep my nose clean. I, I I'm the same. Yeah. Now, uh, the client. So we we were talking about <laughs> Las Vegas and the loans to build Las Vegas, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But uh, so during this period, uh, there was a close associate. Uh, known as Alan Dorfman. He was an insurance, he had an insurance agency that provided claims processing to the Teamsters Union, um, and which was a subject of the investigation of the, you know, Senate committee. Mm-hmm. Um, he also had an increasing influence over loans made by the Teamsters Pension Fund. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, and after 
Hoffa went to prison in 1967, Dorfman uh, took control over the fund. Mm-hmm. I don't it, like just an insurance guy yeah. who now has control over the pension fund of like, you know, hundreds of thousands of sure. union members. Yeah. Um, but he was uh, murdered in January 1983, shortly hmm. after his conviction, along with Teamsters president Roy Lee Williams in a bribery case. Hmm. Now, I know that's kind of gotten outside of our murder, you know, nothing yeah, to do yeah, with right, uh, yeah, no. criminal activities. I'm no, sure. no. Like, oh, For home sure. invasion. And, you know, so um, Hoffa ends up going to prison, as we mentioned. And and I, I should mention, too, I mean, you know, Hoffa had, there, there were other people. In 1937, he had married uh, Josephine uh, Poziwak. Hmm. Sounds sounds pretty Polish to me. Mm-hmm. I'm Polish. Poziwak, you know, so yeah. Okay. I, have I don't know how that. Names like Wisniewski and, um, um, and things like that in my family. Okay. So, you know. Yeah. Sounds sounds Polish to me. Okay. Um, they had met six months earlier in a laundry workers' strike. So oh. you know, it's kind of like they had two children. They bought a modest house in Detroit in a cabin in Orion Township, north of Detroit. And I know that area. It's not it's not really it's not really out there on the lakes anymore. Suburbia has long since like sprawled <laughs> yeah, past where his cabin was. But um, that uh, you know, he kind of ends up holing up in that place. Eventually, but uh, he goes to prison um, and he uh, spends less than five years of a 13 year sentence. Um, and in, in that time, um, he is trying to while he's in prison, he's trying to maintain his presidency <laughs> of the union. And he is kind of like ceded uh, control to this guy, uh, Fitzsimmons. And Fitzsimmons was a Hoffa loyalist and fellow Detroit resident, longtime member of Teamsters Local 299. Um, And he owed his position there to Hoffa. Mm. Um, You know, it's kind of like you get your underling and you pull them up with you and then they owe you. Mm -hmm. Well, while he's in prison, he's like, yeah, not anymore. Yeah. So he he, he, kind of, he takes over. Um, and Hoffa ends up having to resign, uh, and Fitzsimmons becomes the president in 1971. Now, um, Hoffa, uh, after less than five years, gets a pardon, or, well, I shouldn't say pardon. He, he has his sentence commuted by none other than Richard Nixon. Nixon. <laughs> oh, man, that guy. He's a good, he was a good man. What a good man. And uh, yeah, he was, he, I mean, he did do the, he created the EPA. Hey, that's what I'm saying. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. What's odd though, is I don't get this one. The the thing I want to point out is that it's still based on sort of like protectionism, right? Mm -hmm. He secured the environmental, it was pretty much a natural, right? I mean, for Nixon, he was so used to the mob connections. Like I can understand protectionism. Let's con- let's like, he, apply it to something. In he the thought it involved bribery, he and racketeering, he and embezzlement. He's like, he is like what? environmental. I don't know what, what that is, but what, I, any protection is, racket, I'm behind. What does this have to do with birds? What does this have to do with birds? I don't know. Yeah, he yeah he totally thought I, he was signing. Uh, all the all the birds in your neighborhood die unless you give me each yeah, person yeah. here gives me fifty bucks. That's right. That's right. I'm gonna sign this, but uh, you know I can unsign it too, and uh, the whole you know all that's the right. trees will die. That's right. All your trees will be dead tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Keep paying. What? No. All the, all, all of the uh, 
all the doves in the neighborhood? Yeah. Get a pair of lead boots or cement <laughs> boots. <laughs> yeah. So cheap for, you know, bird, bird lead boots, bird cement boots are cheap, you know. They do charge you by, would the client be a bird by chance? <laughs> right. <laughs> what, what is the favorite color of how this many, bird? How many wings does the, does, the, does the client have arms or wings? <laughs> he, um, this is the thing, though, to me, where it, it starts to, like, this is where you start to think about the whole um, Stockholm Syndrome. You're like, oh, what yeah. is going on? So as a result of his previous resignation, He's awarded a $1.75 million lump sum termination benefit by the Teamsters Retirement and Family Protection Plan. Hmm. So he resigned because he went to jail for corruption. Yeah. And you're like, hey, man, sorry about that. Here's $1.75 million from our members yeah. who all make like, you know, yeah. 30 bucks. No, not even back then, like $15 an hour, $10 an hour. Oh, who knows, gosh, right? Not even. You're probably talking about $30, 30 bucks a week, right. possibly, you know, for some people. The, the the type of pension settlement had never occurred with the Teamsters. Um, and consequently, the, the Teamsters endorsed Nixon, a Republican, in his in his presidential re-election bid in 1972. Generally, they had supported Democratic nominees. This is where I don't understand. I'm like, wait a second. So the guy who screwed you all over and goes to prison gets released from a guy and takes all your money, and you're like, I'm going to support that guy for president. It doesn't doesn't make sense, Mark. What it is is it's just it's masterful um, manipulation. You know, and, yeah. and 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 obviously the people were willing to do it and uh, and not read any deeper into it and not see past the obvious. But you know we can't uh, we can't throw bricks because it's happening every single day all the time today. We so. live in a big glass house. We do. We yeah. do. Yeah. He um he he gets it. So he, he's got his freedom, but part of his uh, commutation from Nixon is that he cannot engage in direct or indirect management of any labor organization until 1980. Hmm. He's gonna be gone by 1980. Yeah. Well, no threat there. He doesn't care. He's not dissuaded. He goes straight back to trying to get the support. Why not to become the president of the union again? Yeah. Even though the president of the U.S. made a deal with him that he can never be one, (laughs) he doesn't care. He he tries anyway. Um. uh, Let's see. He he's he's let's see he um. He he says he never agreed to the condition, <laughs> right? I did. I never. I never said that. Never agreed. That's not my writing. <laughs> you know, it's like they all do it. Oh, they all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's 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 the part that like that's the part that I just I, the masterfulness of all of this is just to like just. To, conti- to continue to just lie your way through life. Like, I'm sure I'll do that and then immediately not do that. And 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 sure, this is fine with me and immediately not do it. Anything anything to support, well, I mean, that that ego, the uh, the narcissism, oh, right. whatever the heck, that I deserve this. And like, why not just go get a job somewhere? You're already powerful. You could go do something else. Why not else. just take your $1.75 million? Oh my God, yeah, back then? Yeah. You could just be done with Again. it. Again. Hot tub, some whiskey. Hot like, what whiskey. do you need? Hot tubs back then were dirt cheap. Whiskey back then was cheap. I mean, you get a hot tub back then for what, nine bucks? Yeah. Maybe, maybe 12, 150 bucks. A good bottle of whiskey was like $2.75. A good bottle yeah, of whiskey. Good bottle. Yeah, yeah. How much was Pappy's back then? 
Oh, bad. That was basically nothing. Probably right. it was like, like yeah. The, all, all the all the um, you know investment bankers hadn't discovered it yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah. We're going to real estate. Start yeah. spending doing something else. You know, but hey, he could have bought a whole bunch of places up in Orion Township. Let me tell you. And you know what? That. He'd probably be walking the streets today. Well, maybe right. not today. Today, maybe, but yeah. you know, I mean, like today. Right. Today, twenty 30, years ago, thirty-five years ago, <laughs> like that. But you know, he. he he sues to try and get that restriction lifted. He he's not successful. Um, they there's a lot of resistance to him even trying to do this. Like people are, you know, it's like it's kind of like with somebody who won't be named who's kind of losing losing power in his little political, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, um, bubble. His yeah, like, sort of like people are starting to go. That guy is, yeah, we don't know. Never mind. Forget mm-hmm. him. I know I said he was, yeah, yeah. you know, could He's walk like, in water yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I don't care about him today. The same, the same thing kind of is happening here. And he seems a little upset about it. It's also his, his um, plans are making um, members of the mafia, a little bit un- unhappy. Yeah, they're done with him. I think so. They probably you know? already have a new puppet in place, and we're, we're, it's working well, or something like that. And they don't want to shake things up because this guy's already got a target. He's going to be looked at everything he does. I don't know. Yeah, that's just me. Ma- my mafia well, thinking. One of one of one of them in particular is known as we talked about this before, Tony Pro. Tony Pro. So he is both a Teamsters local leader in New Jersey. And a national vice president of the union during Hoffa's second term as its president. Uh, and he is also a member of the mafia. His real name is Anthony Provenzano, but he goes by Tony Pro. Tony Pro, because yeah. Provenzano is, I don't know. It's too long, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, he's starting to, starting to like, what, what, what did they always say? What is, what is it they say in those movies? It's like, they're, you know, you shouldn't be like looking under the, looking under the cover, or under the hood, or whatever. Like, don't don't ruffle feathers. Yeah. Don't. I'm not sure what it is. I don't remember the mafia speak, but you can't you can't go looking in places you shouldn't be looking. Yeah. Uh-huh. Don't. So, um, other mafia figures who become involved are Anthony Gia Cologne, an alleged kingpin with the Detroit mafia, and his younger brother Vito. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I steer clear of people named Vito. Not yeah, in a, but not like as if I hung out with a Vito, I'd be fine with it. But, you know, there's a certain Vito uh, it's, I steer clear of. It's kind of interesting. Like, I don't... Is, has anybody been named Vito in the last 20 years? You know what? I, I, my, uh, um, uh, my mom's accountant was Vito. It's the first time I've seen the name Vito, and, he was, and he's more than 20 years old. Yeah. So uh, it's the last first and last time I've seen the name Vito probably in... I, I mean, maybe it'll come back around. You know, like, names like Dorothy... Kind of, they they like nobody names their kid Dorothy for like three decades, oh, yeah, and all of a sudden everybody wants to name their kid Dorothy. Yeah, there'll be like a character in some yeah. cornball movie, and everyone's like, "Oh, he was so he was so cute, Vito, little of, Vito, like, little Vito." Um, Vito Corleone was a uh, was that's first, right. You know, they, they did that's not an uncommon. see. That's kind of the problem though. It's like once the name like no nobody mm-hmm. nobody from this generation wants to name their daughter Karen, right? Yeah, or Adolf, right? Or Adolf. Couple well, that's several. It's going to be a long. We thought about the name Paul. Yeah, Paul Pot. Paul. You know? Yeah, Paul with the middle name Pol. Pot, and we were yeah. like, then we were like, oh no, no, he can't. No, Paul Pot's gonna do no that good. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a bad one. Very bad. Uh, let's see. Yeah. So Provenzano, uh, he was he was asked for support, but he refused, and he supposedly threatened Hoffa by saying he would pull out his guts and kidnap his grandchildren. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. he was a uh, 
uh, capo in the New York City Genovese crime family. Now, I just want to go back to that for a second. You're gonna, that's, that's really a pretty... I don't know about that statement. Like, there's not, I don't know if that's a threat. What's the threat on that? Well, And which one's he going to do first? Is he going to pull out... Is he going to kidnap the grandchildren? Then tie him up with his guts. Then, right, yeah, like, like, like at the time, by the time you've, like, and by the way, you haven't, you haven't, you haven't done anything, you haven't threatened to do any harm to the grandchildren. When are you going to return them? Uh, once my guts are out? Yeah, they don't mention that he was going to do anything with the grandchildren. I mean, I think, you know, eventually once the guts, once, once, once Hoffa's gone, I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. Return the kids? I know. I feel like that threat just maybe, maybe you got cut off. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I, I, right, he he kind of ran out. He's like, no, uh, uh, um, and um, I lost my train of thought. That's right. I lost my. I was gonna say something. I lost my, but whatever it was, you don't want it. But but at least two of Provisano's union opponents had been murdered. Uh huh. And others who had spoken out against him had been assaulted. So like you know, if you don't deserve to die, we just beat you up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. So. Um, Jimmy Hoffa's son, James, said that his dad was pushing so hard to get back in office, he was increasingly afraid that the mob would do something about it. Mm. Now, okay, we've we've gone through this whole thing. We have this whole backstory, right? Yep. So now July 30th, 1975, Jimmy Hoffa goes out um, to a meeting with Provenzano and Gia Cologne. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was supposed to be 2 p.m. at... Said restaurant, Maccas Red Fox in Bloomfield Township, a Detroit suburb. So, so Hoffa is in deep. He let's recap quickly. Hoffa's in deep. He's on a long line of people who are pretty good at getting in deep, but all about power, all about corruption. He gets out of jail, uh, kind of a get out of jail free card. Yeah, lucky guy, but doesn't doesn't adhere to the rules. Plenty, plenty of cash could easily have retired right yeah. there, but just goes all in again and starts to rub some serious people the wrong way. And he just doesn't understand that his time has come and gone. Right, and he and he also doesn't. He, he uh, clearly he thinks he's powerful, more right. powerful than he really is, because he goes to this meeting, probably and, assuming it's going to be fine. And and apparently he he either doesn't either assumes it's going to be fine, or he is just so um, driven by this one desire mm-hmm. that he just doesn't care about the consequences. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But, um, uh, let's see. It had been his, the wedding reception. It was the re- restaurant that was used for the wedding reception for his son, James, the one who, you know, mm-hmm. mentioned he was worried about his father. Um, Hoffa wrote um, Gia Cologne's initials in the time of the location of the meeting in his home office calendar. TG, 2 p.m., Red Fox. He leaves his home at 1.15. Um, he stops at the office of his close friend, Louis Lintou, a former president of the Teamsters Local 614, who now run, ran a limousine service. They had been enemies early in their career, but eventually became friends. When Hoffa left prison, Lento became Hoffa's unofficial appointment secretary. Hmm. I mean, I guess, you know, he ran a limousine service. He has experience with, you know, setting up times and yeah, dates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Smart um, guy. Valuable skill. Yes, exactly. But but 
when you when you like kind of outsource these things to somebody who is formerly your enemy, right? Mm. See, I think like that sounds suspicious. Yeah. Okay, I see that. Yeah, I see now, where you're going with this. Nobody knows, but this is just me. Uh, he. Um, let's see. And he arranges a dinner meeting between Hoffa and the Gia Cologne brothers on July 26, in which they had informed him of the July 30th meeting. So this was a meeting about the meeting, Mark. Oh, yeah. That sounds like, wow, they're just, they passed it's forward to like corporate right? America yeah. right here. We're going to have a meeting about the meeting. Did you, have, did you prepare the cover sheet for prepared, the report? For the report for the meeting that's happening in four days. Right. Yeah, let's, it's a pre-meeting. Uh, Linto was out to lunch when Hoff, Hoffa stopped by, and uh, so Hoffa talked to some of the staff and left a message for Linto before he left for Mecca's Red Fox. Between 2.15 and 2.30, an annoyed Hoffa calls his wife from a payphone on a post in front of Damon Hardware, which is, I remember this because the, the restaurant was kind of like, this. so Damon Hardware is part of a strip mall. Okay. It's a long strip mall. Mm-hmm. And the one lone outbuilding is Macus Red Fox. It's like the building that's in the parking lot that's up by the road. Uh-huh, it's uh-huh. Telegraph Road. It's like a big, you know, boulevard. Yeah. Like four lanes yeah. each way, like the Midwest has. I get what you mean. You yeah. see it like a Denny's at the end of a parking exactly. lot in front of it. Yeah. It's no, Macus Red Fox, though, is like if a family of four goes to eat there, it's like back then it was like $120 wow. okay. or something. So you, we went there. For my grandmother's like retirement mm-hmm. or something like that, and then we all split dishes because it's too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> my dad's like, "You and your sister can split an appetizer, <laughs> <laughs> eat some mints on the right, way home if right. you're hungry." Still, take as many as you want. <laughs> <laughs> Toothpicks too. <laughs> um, so Damon Hardware was kind of like back behind it. There's you know maybe a couple hundred feet separating the strip mall from the the restaurant. So he goes to the payphone and makes a call to his wife. And he's, he's complaining that Gia Cologne had not shown up and he had been stood up. His wife told him she had not heard from anyone. And he told her he would be home by four says, what's he going to do in the next, you know, what hour and 40 hour and a half hour and 45 minutes. I don't know to grill steaks for dinner. Several witnesses saw Hoffa standing by his car and pacing the restaurant's parking lot. Two men saw Hoffa, recognized him, and stopped to chat with him briefly and to shake his hand. They were like, I've never met a mob- mobster before. You know, like, I don't know. It's like, I mean, he's I mean, he's obviously he's pretty really famous. Yeah, he's pretty yeah, famous. He's like right? really well known. I mean, does this spot him by eye? I mean, it's not like he would have been on TV a lot, maybe a little bit, but maybe not really. And like in newspapers, that's pretty. He must have been a local. I wonder, celeb. you know, like in 1975, I was I was three, right? I said 1975, wasn't that 1975? It was 75, yeah, yeah, 75. So I was three. I mean, I didn't know anything about it. Maybe maybe I should have talked to my parents before this to see what they had. You may to have say. driven by. Oh, maybe you might have been in a car. Yeah. You might have driven. I by. might have been the last person to see Hoffa. You might have been not known about it yet. <laughs> you need to do some of that like deep. Therapy to right. see if you can pull anything <laughs> to out. To bring out these recessed I memories, rem- yeah. repressed memories. <laughs> That's right. I remember a couple of guys in shark skin suits throwing a guy <laughs> into the back of a Cadillac. There was, and snake skin cowboy boots. Yeah, and- <laughs> I remember that. They had slicked back hair and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I remember it now. I was three. Now he also no wonder called- I've no, I've been so afraid <laughs> That's right. all my life. I mean, <laughs> and every time I went to Damon Hardware, I had a panic yeah, attack I'd for no reason. Yeah, I'd pee my pants when I'd go by there. 
So he also made a call to Linto in which he again complained the men were late. Linto gave him the time as 3.30, or gave the time as 3.30, but the FBI suspected it was earlier based on the timing of other phone calls from Linto's office around that time. The FBI estimates that Hoffa left the location without a struggle around 2.45 to 2.50. One witness reports seeing Hoffa in the back of a maroon quote, Lincoln or Mercury car with three other people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's it. Never to be seen from again. So we think, I mean, it doesn't seem that far-fetched that the car pull up says, hey, what's his name? Forgot to, uh, oh, he was late. He realized, you know, he's got to come. We'll, we'll bring you over. And now, why would he get in the car? I'll follow you, but then something comes up. I don't know. They have a good excuse. They're, or they just pull a gun out. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that's how it happens in the movie, right? Yeah. Do I have a choice? No. Yeah, like... But Hoffa doesn't seem like the kind of guy who'd still get in the car because he'd know what this is right. headed towards. Yeah, I know. So it's like, shoot me on the street if you're going to get me because then you're gonna not going to get away with it. If I get in this car, there's no... Right, it's it's over and I'll never be seen again. Yeah. So he, you know, um, the next day his wife, you know, uh, called her son and daughter to say their father had not come home. Um, you know, and... and they nobody really knows. Um, at 7:20 a.m., Linto goes to Macus Red Fox and found Hoffa's car unlocked in the parking lot, but there was no sign of Hoffa nor any indication of what had happened to him. Calls the police, who later arrived at the scene. The Michigan State Police are brought in. The FBI is alerted. Um, they file a missing persons report. They offer a $200,000 reward for any information about his disappearance. The primary piece of physical evidence obtained at the, in, the, in the investigation was a maroon 1975 Mercury Marquis Brome, which belonged to Anthony Giacalone's son, Joseph. He, now, he, uh, it had been borrowed earlier that day by Charles, quote, Chucky O'Brien to deliver fish. <laughs> Over, Hence the stink. Right. Hence the stink and oh. the blood all over the back seat because, you know, fish bleed. That's right. That's that's cod. That's cod blood. <laughs> Everybody knows a cod blood, you know, and the splatter pattern, the splatter oh. pattern assumes that the cod, that it was, it's cod blood all the way. That's, that's not. <laughs> it's uh, for uh, fish fry. Yeah, it's for fish fry. O'Brien was uh, Hoffa's foster son, although, so like, what? Although uh, relations be- between them had soured. Um, in the years preceding his disappearance. Investigators and Hoffa's family suspected that O'Brien had a role in Hoffa's disappearance. Police dogs identified a scent in the car, but, you know, like, yeah, okay, he was seen in the car. It didn't really help. Gio Colon and Provisano, Tony Pro, uh, denied having scheduled a meeting with Hoffa, were found not to have been near the restaurant that afternoon. Provisano. Alibis. That's right. He was in, I was in my girlfriend's house. He was in my girlfriend's house. Yeah. Provisano she's, she's tell me. Uh, said he was playing cards with Stephanie, Stephen, Stephen, and Dreda, Thomas and Dreda's brother in Union City, New Jersey, the day that Hoffa disappeared. See, I wasn't even in the state. Despite extensive surveillance and bugging, investigators found that mafia members whom they thought were involved were generally unwilling to talk about Hoffa's disappearance, Weird. even in private. Uh, December in 1975, a federal investigator in Detroit said in court, presided by James Paul Churchill, that a witness had identified three New Jersey men as having participated in, quote, the 
abduction and murder of James R. Hoffa. The three men were close associates of Provenzano, uh, Thomas Andretta, Salvatore Brig, Briguglio, <laughs> Briguglio. And, his, and his brother Gabriel Briguglio. The Briguglio <laughs> brothers. That's not, hard. That's not hard. Why are you stumbling over the Briguglio brothers? <laughs> I can't even say brothers after I say Briguglio. I, I just said Briguglio. And, and, and this is kind of where like everybody knows from here, right? I mean, how many times... Did they like excavate different places? Yeah, looking for his. Well, remains. Geraldo did it, right? Remember yeah. that big whole thing? That's right. They. D- or wait, wait what? was that? Was like that? live? Or was that? Was that for the Hoffa? It was Hoffa. I'm pretty sure. Man. Yeah. Let's see. Geraldo. Geraldo and Hoffa. No, maybe not. Or maybe it wasn't. Was it Geraldo and? He opened up. Yeah. Or was that? He said he was gonna. Didn't he say he was gonna? Oh, was it to Jimmy Hoffa? Uh, oh, it was Capone. No, he was going to open Capone's vault. He didn't find anything. Oh, yeah. Remember remember when Geraldo made a whole spectacle about how he was going to dig, dig up Jimmy Hoffa's body and then Jimmy Hoffa didn't show up? That was yeah. somebody's. So I guess I guess he did have something. But they so people have been, you know, like every so often um, some... Um, evidence comes up or somebody comes forward and says, I heard this thing. The, the last is that I, that I can see is that um, 2021 digs are still periodically conducted in the Detroit area in search of Hoffa's body. But a common theory among experts is the body was cremated. Well, here's, I have a question here. Who cares at this point? I mean, not even today, but even like 25 years. Who cares? We know what happened to the guy. It's it's one of those things that has just become a national fascination. But in right? but it, but but such to me. Okay, this is just me talking here, but not an important one. Not like we're talking about something oh, like not important. okay. And I don't. And this is a terrible story, but it's not talking. But not talking like John Benet Ramsey, which I, which even to me is a frust- is frustrating. We don't know what happened. This is a guy who was a jerk. Who was kind of playing entirely in a bat in, in in a in a in a pretty gnarly playground, and let's we just we know what happened to this guy. He got driven off. He got done in a in a field, and and now he's either under a building that got built after the fact or washed he's encased out. Encased in cement. He's in. He's in the Giants' end zone. He's in the Giants' end zone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. He's he's. I mean, it's the, the fascinating thing about me about this is less about him and what happened to him, and more about well, I, firstly about they get away with this stuff, you right? Know, and then they and they just keep doubling down. Yeah. Like jail didn't do anything for him, you know. Like um, the other thing is like, who cares? You know what I mean? Uh, it's so funny that people actually like dig into this stuff and want to know because. We know, you know, we just don't know, no, but we know, you know, what's crazy about it is, I mean, you can just go through, I mean, how many books were written, yeah. how yeah. many articles were written, like, movies, yeah, with, with what's his name as the, um, uh, why can't I think yeah, well, of his name? It was, uh, it was on the Google contest. I can't think of his name suddenly. Um, Jack Nicholson. It was just called Hoffa, wasn't it? Jack Nicholson plays Hoffa. Yeah. And by the way, I'm not undermining the concept. It's a great story, but it's weird. It's just weird that society is just so interested in this guy, we know what happened, and and the the what to me what is more interesting is the amount of unbridled and out in the open corruption Just that went on. Yeah, 
four decades. Just completely no, just completely unabashed, like, and, oh, and, eh. and And help us not on the way, because because he could have stopped at any any time. time. He any could have stopped time. when he got the $1.75 million payout and got a commuted sentence from the president. You give me a $1.75 million payout. I walk payout away from today, whatever. To, in today's money. Yeah, in today's what, money. What, exactly. With inflation and everything. I'm leaving my job. I'm leaving my job. You say, hey, listen, you can't I'm, do your job I'm anymore. I'm going to some beach town in Portugal and uh, never to be seen here in the country again. You just can't have this job. You got right. another job, but you can't have this job. Hey, I'll take it. You, you can tell me I can't come back to Montana. You, you can tell me I can't ski at Deadfish. I mean, Whitefish. Yeah, uh, Deadfish. <laughs> Deathfish. <laughs> Deathfish. You can, I, there's a lot of things you could tell me that I can never do again for $1.75 like, yeah, million. Dollars. Fine. Right. But Kevin, you can't podcast anymore. It's the one that you're threatening. I will become a YouTuber. Oh, oh. TikTok, Kevin, TikTok. <laughs> Kevin, this is Kevin Bauman, TikTok channel. That's right. <laughs> hey, let's be honest. I'll just, just, I'll just do like Jimmy Hoffa and just say, I never agreed to that. Let's be honest here, Kevin. The disappear. reason that we do these podcasts is we're hoping someone with money gets so sick of us, they offer us $100.7 million to shut up. Anybody out there. And if we don't take that money, we end up, in cement boots out in Whitefish Lake. Out Whitefish Lake, yeah. We'll be like, kid, kids will be like, like you know, wakeboarding over us. That's right. Like, woo! 30 woo! years, 40 years from now, they'll be like, what happened to Mark and what Kevin? What happened? But like, they went down to the Great Northern and were ne- seen <laughs> across seen the street at the empty lot, stomping back and forth in the cold, trying to keep their hands warm, <laughs> visually upset. Visually upset. Visibly upset. They got put in the back of a... Of a, of, a, of a marine F1, <laughs> maroon colored F-150 with two guys, you know, whatever. With, and, a, and a couple of uh, huskies in the back. Two guys with shark shark skin suits, whatever, like, like you know, double-breasted seersuckers got in the back and, and a bunch of huskies a shotgun on the rack and a don't tread on me license plate. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> what could have happened to them? What could have happened to Kevin and Mark? <laughs> Let's in forty years, Jack Nicholson's son is That's going right. to play. Well, one of us. I'm know. not sure what what it would be called, but I'm sure it yeah. would be awesome. It would be. <laughs> oh, but sure. I mean, I, well, I mean, it pretty much writes itself, Kevin. I mean, well, to talk maybe one of these days about who's playing who. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just think I just think we uh, we need to ramp up the annoying. Yeah, because uh, I don't. We're not getting any, any bites. No, nobody. Uh, nobody's paying us to go away. Not yet. I, we haven't even gotten like a. a I haven't even get any spam. Like, hey, not even a threat. Nothing. No nothing, one's threatening Mark. my life. Nope. Clearly, I'm not important. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> so, Alba's not on the way for Jimmy Hoffa. Never going to be on the way for Jimmy Hoffa. Not yet, though. You know, maybe he's living it out in the cabin. Maybe he's oh, still in man. the cabin, and no one's noticed. I mean, of course, it's built built up. There's probably a, a Trader Joe's across the street now, but yeah, I mean, there's like all these jailhouse confessions. There's all sorts of things, but nobody's found anything. It's like it's he not... and Elvis are just they're they're. Do you think Jimmy Hoffa, JFK, and Elvis are coming back to work with that you know guy what, you who know I'm what not going to talk about? I think this is all uh, a big Atlas Shrugged kind of thing, and they're all John uh, Galt out in some yes. secret. You know, canyon somewhere, mm. talking about how you know, like how get they're not going to give the world their talents because people don't appreciate it enough. Uh, yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's un- it's an unfair world for those folks. It you know, is. it's an unfair world for the Jimmy Hoffas of the world are really just underappreciated. I mean, fortunately, um, you know, the hoarders have. Um, well, 
have their day. You know, that's interesting you say that because I uh, have a few hoarders in mind. Do you think... No, they were they were of a different era. Very different era. Because there might be some hoarders who have a bunch of Hoffa newspaper clippings. And you probably would have found them. (laughs) Actually, Hoffa might still be in the Collier Brothers. uh, um, It's under a pile of newspapers. (laughs) Yeah, even like, even though it was, you know, 50 years earlier, but still, it's possible. Time travel. You know, you never really know. I mean, considering how much stuff they had. So let's let's hear about the Collier brothers. So this is okay. So this is a story that I have uh, I have loved uh, since probably for twenty five years since the first time I ever heard it, and um and I and I sadly we did do a really fun episode on this once and uh, and it had tape delay and I don't know maybe it was just. Uh, the whiskey talking, but um, we we had help was not on the way for us for quite some time there, Mark. We had about three or four, five, six throw throwaway episodes. We were cursed. We yeah. had a curse, uh, a, a pox on I us. I mean, our curse was not as bad as the people mentioned here today. Yeah, yeah, nobody killed us, right? Um, but uh, uh, but we also didn't make any money. So um, yeah, that's in this true. <laughs> case, so you know, it's bittersweet. Let's that's say. right. Um, so the Collier brothers. These are these two brothers. So this is a. This is a great story of early American hoarders. So um, Homer and Langley Collier, they're born into an upper middle class family in New York. Um, Homer's born in 1881. So we are talking a, a pretty substantial, well, really not that far. Langley's in 1885. That's what only like, well, it's really only like, what, 28 years before, something like that? 20, not even, 23? How am I doing bad math here? Uh, before... Um, Hoffa's born, actually. Oh, okay. He, they would have lived in Hoffa's, Hoffa's lifetime. Yeah. The family starts out in tenement housing uh, in New York. Uh, their father, Herman, he's interning at Bellevue Hospital. Herman, he goes on to become a, a gynecologist at Bellevue, while um, his wife, Susie, a former opera singer and Herman's first cousin, uh, raised their two boys. So now, this is something about that that I took a footnote about. First cousin's... Uh, they share 12.5% of DNA, which raises the likelihood of birth defects by a mm. few percentage points. Interesting. But it's kind of the luck of the draw. Yeah. Um, but an interesting note about that is that that was pretty common around then. Oh. Um, marrying your first cousins is still illegal in America. Um, but back then, it used to be a lot more common because people didn't travel so much. Okay. You, know, you live in a small yeah. town. New York's not a small town. But right. uh, you live in a small town. And you know what? We can't keep you from marrying your first cousin because that might be the only game in town so um homer who is the uh older brother um homer is accepted into college at 14 years old so he's no dummy and receives his bachelor degree in admiralty law at columbia university within six years that's um the law of that governs nautical issues and private maritime disputes just in case you weren't sure what admiralty law yeah you weren't I'm not, I'm not up on that. Yeah, I'm not up on that either. That's why I had to look it up. Langley also attends Columbia and studies engineering and chemistry. He's also a really, really good piano player and um, for a period of time performed professionally, including performing at, at Carnegie Hall. Oh. So these are not, these, yeah. these, they're, they're, they're gifted, smart, smart yeah. people. Um, so the fortunes of the family rise and continue to rise and, and, and they move into a brownstone on Fifth Ave. Uh, and 128th Street in Harlem in 1909. So this is this is pre sort of this is the early Harlem. This would have been really 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 up there in New York, probably a suburb. Really. So they were hipsters, total hipsters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were there early. They were early adopters of right. the neighborhood. Oh my, my battery's running low. Oh yeah. my goodness, do we have Do, a, that do we have one? Um, 
Let's pause and hey, I'll go hey, grab one. Um, go. Uh, Are we yeah. good? Let's, or, uh, let me see where we're at here. 13%. What does that give you? Don't know. We will keep an eye on it um, okay. and hope for the best. Um, help is not on the way. <laughs> help may not be on the way for... I can, I can go grab a charger if we need it. Um, yeah, why not? Eccentric man, um, the father Herman. Uh, um, he would he would often commute to work at City Hospital on Blackwell's Island off Manhattan via canoe over wow. the East River um, and carry the vessel home in the streets. And now at this point, I thought about this as I was reading through this, and I was like, you know, that's not that weird to me. I mean, it, I bet it was a pain to. Right. I mean, you know. Why is that? I mean, I, I, I mean, he's actually possibly being a little bit smart. Like right. it was kind of a seems, suburb. It seems kind of like a fun way to get, a, During get to work. The summer, good yeah. at good fitness. You don't have to take the subway or whatever. I don't know if there was a subway, but whatever it was, another right. means of travel. Cheap. It actually kind of makes sense. But knowing what we know later about the family and stuff, it's probably an eccentric. It's probably not the only reason they thought yeah. he was eccentric. So the brother's parents, later they uh, divorce. And after their deaths... Um, they leave the boys at their deaths. They leave the boys everything, including the brownstone and all of their father's medical equipment, which they brought to be stored in um, the house on 128th Street. Mm, they stored all the equipment there okay. at the house, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, it's like like they didn't yeah. sell it; they just stored it, right? Which I think is like an early, hmm, it's kind of a sign, a of sign things to come. Yeah, I mean, you know, you bring like a. A chair, maybe a typewriter, but you, I don't know if you bring all the medical equipment. I, I mean, I think I think my parents understand that when they're gone, I take almost everything they have and sell it. Or, I, yeah, or I'm not, at best. I mean, my sister could store it, but I'm not storing I'm it. I'm not storing yeah, it. I'm not storing it. I mean, that's a problem, actually. Right. It's 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 actually kind of a shackle. It's something I think about with my kids. I'm like, what can, what, what can I get rid of now so they don't have to deal with yeah, it later? Yeah, for sure. So, anyway... um. Uh, the brothers had never married, and they continue to live together. At first, they appear pretty normal, socializing, going about the city as would be normal. And Homer uh, practices law, and Langley is a piano dealer. But in 1933, Homer experienced hemorrhages in the back of his eyes that cost him his eyesight. Okay, first of all, neither of them have any sort of education that requires them to keep any of this medical medical equipment. So, hoarders. Right. Uh, second of all, hemorrhages in the back of his eyes. That just seems like... Yeah, what's going on, right? What is that? Yeah, I don't know. Is that a thing that happens in the back of both at the same time? Is that possible? Right. I don't have any idea, but um, maybe it is. And if I had any use for medical equipment, I might know what right. that, how yeah, that was right. possible. <laughs> Those two things are apparently correlated. But I don't have any idea. <laughs> so Langley leaves his job to look after his brother and to and the two retreat into their home. Around this time, the Harlem neighborhood is beginning to change. We're now pushing a couple years later and we're starting to, the, the neighborhood's changing quite a bit. The Great Depression's taken a toll on the area and what was once a predominantly upper-class community has begun to shift demographics both economically and racially. The brothers, they fear the changes and become more reclusive. So their neighborhood changes and kind of... Don't they let fear... Fear kind of take over. Fear, fear, which, which is a, which is a, you know a thing that people talk about a lot lately. They're afraid. Yeah, you, yeah, you, and 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 what do you do? You either you 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 insulate and you begin to blame others, others right. right? Yeah. So do they do that? Do they blame others, or do do they just 
and this is tough in New York, right? I mean, right. it's not like you can like put a put a like move to a private or have a private wall built up around your house because you live in a brownstone. Yeah, you you'd have to buy like all the neighbors' houses and keep them empty. Which, <gasps> what? Close, not exactly. Okay. So over time, the brothers become um, uh, notorious. Uh, in the neighborhood for being these recluses and crowds begin to gather at their houses, their house in hopes of spotting the eccentrics. This only caused them more distress and they retreat from view even further. Rumors in the neighborhood spread that the brother's house is full of riches. (laughs) Fearing being robbed, Langley, a trained engineer, constructs booby traps and a tunnel system throughout the house using trash, junk, and other items they had hoarded over the years in its construction. Within the maze, Langley creates a nest-like area, nest-like areas for he and his brother to live. So it's like, a, it's basically, a, it's like a hamster habit trail, you know? <laughs> right. Except with, without any of the support of an, an actual constructed, like... Oh, there were no, like, yeah, there were yeah. no buttresses. Yeah. There was no sort of any... There was no sort of, tunnels through trash. Yeah, right? but well, that's the funny thing because they talk about his engineering degree or whatever. But I mean, I don't know that how much he applied it. Yes, to some degree, but at the same time, I don't think he really, really. I don't think he. I don't think he did the math. Let's just say all the math. Let's just say. Um, and of course, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the neighborhood's changed. It's probably a pretty nice looking house. These they maybe there's talk oh there were medical equipment their parents were doctors right. he's a blah 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 and suddenly they are starting to get rumors that the neighborhood is looking at them as though they might be sort of a, a juicy steak um some of the maybe seedier members of the neighborhood um so they now have this sort of like rat's nest like all these little nests and tunnels in between them so the and how- there probably are actual rat's nest Oh my God! Can you imagine? Yeah, it has to. I mean, there are rats all over New York now. Right. Can you imagine no. what that place would have been actually like? No, it's kind of scary. It has to have been a rat's yeah. nest. Um, the house it falls into disrepair, and utilities to the house have been shut off. Uh, at, at a certain time, they're shut off, so they're living for years without utilities. Um, um, Langley. He adapts uh, the engine of a Model T Ford to create power and use a sm- uses a small kerosene heater to warm themselves in the winter in their rats sounds, nest. Sounds very safe. So are they running this engine inside the house? It's entirely to code, Kevin. Yeah. Don't, you don't need to worry about I this. I mean, breathing exhaust fumes inside, it's, it's never been known to kill anyone. It was a different time, Kevin. Yeah. People, people live differently. Uh, and, they, and they were survivalists. People, they were capable people today of, are kind of soft. They're sissies. Really, really sissies. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the northerners, you know, the, right. like the, the, the trappers. You know, we I'll, wouldn't have been able to survive a night out in the Alaskan wilderness. I mean, and a bunch of exhaust fumes in an enclosed space and never hurt anyone. Kerosene here. Yeah. I mean, what the heck? This is fine. Yeah. Yeah, you're a worrywart. This is why exactly. this is why all of our children today are such. That's right. That's why this country is going the way yeah, it is. We're, we're packing yeah. them and we're packing them in bubble wrap. Right. Exactly. Sending them off to the park. You know. No. Come on. I won't let my kid run the V8 motor in his bedroom anymore. Yeah. I was like, what are no. you doing? How is he? Yeah. I mean, you know, turn the heat on. Right. We've got heat. We did this on purpose I'm because me. we don't. You're not capable of handling the exhaust fumes from the that's Model right. T anymore. <laughs> What doesn't kill you may, may only makes you stronger. It's true. That's true. That's why the, that's why people were strong back then. Right. They were strong. Um, so uh, water comes from a pump uh, in a nearby park. Oh. 
He also takes care of Homer, uh, feeding and bathing him, as well as reading to him and playing piano to occupy him. Lang- now, keep in mind, now, this is Homer's life. Homer's hemorrhaged eyes. It doesn't really sound like there's much else going on with Homer, but apparently that was enough for Langley to say, I'm going to stuff you in one of the corners of the rat's nest, and, um, and you're going to have to, like... There's some weird... There's got to be some weird interplay here, because... Homer's like, yeah, I'm blind, but I want to sit in a rat's nest and listen to piano for hours on end. Yeah, I, you, you do wonder about that, right? Like, what was how much of this was, you know, um, what, what do you call it when it's consensual, right? Yeah. How much, how much of this was consensual, and how much was just the one brother being like, yo, this is what what I'm doing? Yeah. Could it have been a power play? Like I'm right. going to take control or could it have been like they were kind of both okay with this? What was that? Um, that book, that Stephen King one in the movie. Misery. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She, he broke his ankles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hemorrhages in the eye. Hemorrhages <laughs> in his eyes. Yeah. yeah. It's oh, called, he, it was a screwdriver. <laughs> it was, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He hemorrhaged all right. hemorrhaged all right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and yeah, you can imagine he couldn't have gotten out of there. Right. No. So it's possible Homer was like a, a, a prisoner. Right. Um. No, I didn't. I had never thought of that before. I know. This we just got. We, we did this whole thing and never. <laughs> this never occurred. This just got creepy. It didn't get creepier. creepier. It's creepy, but yeah. it just got creepier. Ooh. Langley, you old dog, you. Um, That's right. So, um, let's see where we at here. Um. So. So rumors of the neighborhood, as I mentioned, are spreading that the house is full of riches and fearing being robbed. Langley, he's a trained engineer. Oh, would I already do this part? Uh, yes, the maze lab. I'm sorry, I'm I'm I jumped backwards. Langley has um. That's because you went through one of the tunnels. I came out and I came yeah, on the wrong. Yeah. I came out behind myself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. That's <laughs> right. I went back in time. Yeah. So Langley, he's devised. Uh, he had devised a plan to cure his brother's blindness. Oh. Um. This consisted of rest and a diet. Uh. Diet plan of 100 oranges a week, black rye bread, and peanut butter. 100 oranges a a week. I'm starting to think this is Homer's a prisoner. Yeah. He's like, you must eat another orange. No, more oranges. And how much of these mazes are keeping Homer in rather than, but, but, but under the guise of keeping um, other people, other people out. Yeah. Well, I mean, isn't that kind of like, you know, North Korea or Russia or whatever. It's like those walls, it's, it's a wall for both sides, yeah, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. Now, this has got a whole new twist. Um, so Homer becomes paralyzed due to rheumatism, but the brothers uh, didn't trust doctors, or at least Langley didn't. Let's just be honest with right, you right yeah. now, because Homer wasn't exactly calling in. The... It only required one to not trust doctors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Homer wouldn't call in the shots. I mean, but it makes sense. I mean, why trust doctors? Sciences. Yeah, science. Science is a lie, Kevin. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've already established that. Right. They knew it back then. How do we still... A hundred, if, if 100 oranges didn't do it, what could a doctor possibly do? A hundred a week. Come on. Right. That's maximum vitamin C. I mean, that's a lot of oranges. What is that, like 12, 13 a day? That's a lot of oranges. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think now, were these those little, like, you know, the little uh, cuties, or were these the, like... Good qu- I think I'd have been Soft the full size, size oranges. They have to have been full size oranges. Could you imagine doing a hundred full size oranges? Well, I, I I can imagine it because that's what uh, cured my rheumatism, right? So um, and your you blindness. Know, well, yeah, that and my and my faith in God. Yeah. So those two things uh, cured my blindness okay, and my rheumatism. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought I thought the oranges cured your faith in God. Oh yeah, that's or, it. So or, like, <laughs> <laughs> have enough vitamin C, <laughs> and you'll get clarity. 
<laughs> so um <laughs> uh, so um so he's now paralyzed and they don't trust doctors so they don't seek treatment they also believe that being sons of a doctor with the entire medical library at their disposal they were capable of curing homer's illness again Wait, they langley but uh, and that's weird so uh, first i'm thinking like you sons of a doctor but i mean so he doesn't trust doctors but because he was a son of a doctor he's qualified but he's also a son of a gynecologist He's not really necessarily... What, how many books... I mean, right. okay, all doctors probably have a plethora of books. Sure. But I mean, let's be honest. Most of these things would have been like re- female reproduction, you right. know, organs and things like that. There might have been a couple of... He went through school, but... Yeah, so he's like reading some book about, you know, uh, post-menopause or something. And he's like, <laughs> okay, I have an idea here. This says 100 oranges <laughs> That's right. will keep you from... <laughs> help you your estrogen levels leveled right. out <laughs> let's do this <laughs> i think you need to read a little deeper there that's Langley. right because we know homer ain't reading these books no, no yeah and that goes back to the whole religious thing remember we got to do martin luther again oh yeah about the whole you know like homer can't read him so whatever langley's telling him uh, yeah homer but doesn't know he's not telling him the truth his his entire reality is based on his brother he's reading right? like you know medical journals talking about oranges and peanut butter right this will this cures it, and Homer's like, I got nothing to lose, right? But I can't do anything about it if I don't agree. Even if I do, who am I going to talk to? What am I going to do? The home, this is deep stuff, Langley. We need to try him in absentia. That's not well. He's not he's around. Shoving peanut butter covered orange slices down his throat. Damn. You know, just shoving them in there. What's like, he washing it down with? You ever take a big scoop of peanut butter? Oh well, you can't have liquid with that, or it negates the benefits of it. So you just true. have to suffer. The sticky, gooey. And rye bread. Right. <laughs> right. And by the way, like peanut butter and rye bread? That's a horrible combination. And oranges. And oranges. But I mean, I don't want, I'll, I'll, I like me some peanut butter. Right. But I don't actually really love rye bread. But if I did love rye bread, I don't think that I'd want peanut butter on it. I like rye bread as toast. That's about it. Yeah, like butter with a, on it and a little with jam. A butter, maybe yeah. a little jam. Yeah, yeah, it's not a peanut butter vehicle. No. I don't think. Maybe I I'm agree. wrong. I don't know. You know, I'm not versed on rye bread. Um, yes. But anyway, um, uh, so they think they're going to cure Homer's illness, or Langley does. Langley begins wandering the wandering the city at night, going all the way to Brooklyn at times, often 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 rummaging in garbage for food to bring back to Homer. Those who did come across Langley, and they did, he's walking around the city, describes him as polite and soft-spoken with a cultivated voice and wearing tattered clothes. Langley, so protective of Homer, who by late 1930s hadn't been seen outside the house for as many as six years. <laughs> this is, comes back to what we were talking about before. He buys the, house, the neighboring house for 7500 bucks in cash when he notices neighbors trying to peek into the brownstone for a glimpse of his brother. He's so protective of anyone under the guise of protecting right. Homer. He's protecting his prisoner. That's right. Damn. This is dark. You don't want someone to break the prisoner out. Yeah. Right. Seriously. Or Homer to like hold up a sign going, get me out of here. Like written in. And you, you got to protect him from the medicine out there too. Because what if he gets his vision back? And what if he is able to walk again? Then he doesn't need his brother. That's true. So this is like, this is uh, uh, um, Munchausen yeah. by proxy syndrome. Yeah, it's very similar, isn't it? It is. Yeah, except he's not like doing the whole thing right. of like, oh, make me feel, you know, like the being lauded as the, the savior is brother. Um, well, maybe in a way he was. I mean, the screwdriver to the eyes. 
That's true. But they might, you know, there is a possibility that sort of throughout the neighborhood, he goes to the store or something like that. People are, or he hears people talking about how nice what he's doing for his brother. And that's the, that's the Munchausen by proxy. Yeah, it could right? be, right? Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> So uh, 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 rumors that the brothers lived, and of course now uh, here you, you, people think you're rich. Right. You go buy the house next door for seventy five hundred bucks back then, which right? Is a huge which was a lot of money. money. Yeah. Um. Uh. And it's not a very good way to like conceal your riches. So rumors that the brothers live in splendor are and were stockpiling large amounts of cash are common. Duh! You just bought the net neighbor right. house for, for cash. A stockpile of cash. In 1942, <laughs> police entered the home. To evict the brothers for not paying their mortgage. They find Langley surrounded by junk. He promptly writes a check for $6,700 and paid the remainder of the mortgage, an amount equivalent to $106,000 today. Jeez. So he, he paid off the other house for over $100,000 in, right. in today's money and, and can immediately pay the bill for the, other, for the mortgage and buy the house right, right away. So March... 21st, 1947, an anonymous call about a terrible stench summoned the police to the house. Police? So they could smell this outside of the house. Which is weird, too, because right. the house must have stank anyway, yeah. right? So this, it must have already smelled. This is pretty bad if you can smell yeah. this from outside On the house. On top of, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. So police find it difficult to gain access to the home. First, seven officers try throwing junk from the doorway into the street, but this doesn't gain much ground. Keep in mind, we're looking at, like, I've seen pictures of the front. You're talking about, like, that that stoop up a right, brownstone. Yeah. So it's sort of the second, it's like a it's like a low second floor story. Yeah. You know, there's like a like Because there's usually, story. like, a garden level or something or whatever below. Right, yeah. So they're up there trying to get in the door, and they kind of can't. And so they, uh, they throw up a ladder and climb through the second floor window, a second floor window, to get in because they're so barricaded at the front of the house. After five hours of digging... Officers finally find Homer's body in an alcove surrounded by stacks of newspapers, boxes, and other junk piled to the ceiling. He'd been dead for about 10 hours. Medical examiner, the medical examiner determines he died from starvation and heart disease. There was no sign of Langley. Initially, police thought he may have fled the city. There were several sightings, and the police start a manhunt that crosses nine states. But when he didn't attend his brother's funeral on April 1st, they begin to suspect he might be dead too. On April 8th, workers just gone. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but, but he didn't come. We're going to find there. out what happened to, um, yeah, he, he didn't go by the way of Hoffa. They found him. They found him. They, yeah, this one, this, they got some closure. They got some closure on Langley on April 8th. As workers workers continue to move, remove junk from the house, keeping in mind, um, they, they are move they, they, Get into the house on March 21st. They've been they've been moving junk out of the house for weeks. For weeks, right? Um, they discover Langley's body on April 8th, just 10 feet from where Homer had been found. Keep that in mind that they're 10, 10, look at 10 feet across, you know, from yourself right now. And imagine that there's a body 10 feet away and it's such a mess of a disaster. That you don't know it. You can't, you don't know. They find his body. Um, uh, and they, they find a deep, his de body is decomposing and it lay in a two foot wide tunnel made of rusty bed springs and an old dresser. It's quickly determined he'd sprung one of his own booby traps <laughs> and been crushed under a pile of junk. The date of his death is determined to be around March 9th, 
um, the cause of the death is asphyxiation. So Homer, from March 9th to March 21st, when he died 10 hours before, so for all those days, 10, 11 days, 12 days, Homer is basically slowly starving to death because his brother, who is his only source of food and water and anything, it just got crushed under his own booby trap. So, yeah, so the one brother who is the either the caretaker mm. or the prison guard. Yeah, or the, the uh, Kathy actually Bates. died first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. And that you, being trapped in his own booby trap in, in his own booby trap tunnel trying to get food to his brother and or something like that. We we need to post this, but go online and look for these photos. It's 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 lit, it's and of course they're black and whites from way back then, but you can't make out. You can see the police in the photos. There's lots of them, um, but you can't make out almost anything in these photos. You see the photo of where he was dead. There's actually he's actually in the compartment, but you can't see him. Because you can see the hole, but it's like such, I mean, you can't even tell what the piles are made out of. It almost looks like, a, it looks like a rat's nest. Sort of miscellaneous stuffed, you know, paper and everything else is almost like you're not seeing books or anything. You're just seeing like this mess that you can't really identify. They've shown their photos of uh, uh, in the, uh, in like the main room of the house or something with a, with a, um, a chandelier with garbage piled all the way to the top, like just stuff. You know, there's a lot of things that, um, frighten me, like the things that I could become, mm-hmm. this would be at the top of the most frightening things. Oh God. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I think almost everything else that seems horrible would be pre- preferable to this. Yeah, this is a pretty bad one. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, but they seem to have, well, Lord Langley, I think the most horrible is, of course, Homer, who we've determined is not, is an unwitting sort of like. Yeah. I mean, Lang- so Langley is, who knows what's going on with that guy, right? Yeah, that guy's troubled. Yeah. Um, police and workers eventually remove 120 tons of junk from the house, including baby carriages, old food, glass chandeliers, more than 25,000 books. Eight live cats, fourteen pianos, human organs in a pickle jar. Yes, human organs in pickle jars and and more. They find thirty four bank books with a total of about three thousand dollars, which is about forty thousand dollars today. The house is raised in July nineteen forty seven. They had to take it down because all floors began to collapse, the walls are caving in, and it's deemed unsafe the contents were mostly worthless and uh the brothers are buried at uh, cypress cemetery in brooklyn next to their parents the land uh the house was on now uh is turned into one of new york's first quote pocket parks named collier park and remains there today kevin it's there today there's trees all through it now there's tunnels tunnels right. yeah 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 there's actual <laughs> wouldn't, rats wouldn't that be awesome now it's they, just actual if they rats. just made a a whole series of tunnels. Oh, that would be great! Like a kids' park, <laughs> right. just full of tunnels. That'd have been a bad, that'd have been a great application of this. And in like that neighborhood now, yeah. Harlem has gone through a, a renaissance period at first, and then well, kind of a cool period, and then kind of a disaster period, and it's come back in a lot of ways. And um, that'd be a great application because yeah. I think people are kind of there's some people who are pretty miffed about this park. Really? Yeah, and I don't remember right now the story behind it, but it's worth researching. There are some people that are pretty mad that this park is like celebrating these people because they were not cool and it wasn't really a good you know they i don't know i don't remember all the details but yeah 
Just they could have just called it Hoarders Park. Hoarders or, Park, yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, the, but I think your idea is the best one. One of those like kid mazes yeah, where you get right. lost up in there, and then your kids screaming at like three stories high, and you gotta climb like, through. That's about that's about where he died. That's right about up there. where he died. He's <laughs> like, yeah, like like floating in space. This is where he died. Yeah. Right. He R.I.P. Homer Collier. <laughs> oh. How many pianos again? Oh man, the pianos. Um, fourteen pianos, <laughs> twenty-five thousand books. The so, photos are incredible. I mean, they literally—you don't—they don't have enough of them, unfortunately. But there are a lot of photos. People, the cops dragging stuff out. The the street side just junk on the street. It's and but the photos inside are just something to behold. You looking at them? You see, looking at photos of you googling. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's like impo- almost impossible to pull out anything. I, I'm I'm stuck on the the pianos because there's that there's a song called "Bury Me with My Piano." Well, yeah. also you have a piano, yeah, and you and you, Could you want, imagine have fourteen. Well, and as I recall from the other night chatting with you and Shelby, you would rather sell the house with the piano yes. in it than than have to move the piano out of the house. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the the piano is going to go out part by part. How did they like? How they get it all in there? Right. And they had baby carriages for non-existent babies. He, uh, Langley, must have just walked the streets just collecting garbage all night, but then still he had to get it up the staircases into the house by himself. Imagine getting 14 pianos into a New York brownstone. And and when you got 13, are you like, I really could use one more. Right. And you know, that piano. It was free, Mark. This is the one that's been missing from my life, though. You know, I I know we got 13 already, but I, I got one Homer. I got us another piano. I, now, you you probably, like me, you probably either have some relatives or friends who are kind of give you, makes gives you the, sh, you know, like a sh, the shivers when, when you think about it a little bit, but who are like always, but it was free but or it was, it was free, cheap yeah. mm-hmm. or whatever. And I'm always like, I don't, I don't want it. I don't, I, like, know. I don't yeah. care what, if they were to pay me to take it they'd have to pay me a lot because what what am i supposed to do with this big huge hunk of metal yeah and i have friends who have garages that are just crammed oh, yeah. they're like you can't go through that way because then i'll be embarrassed when you see my garage because it's full of the crap that they've collected cuz it's free it I was a, cheap it was a great deal kevin i got a great deal on uh it's a 14th piano but i got a great deal on right, it yeah. i got a great deal on it it's such a good deal i couldn't pass up on the 14th right. piano and what are you going to do with them? Uh, no, I don't know. I'm going to booby trap, um, right. you know, the, 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 the tunnel to your, your rat space. But I mean, like the, the show hoarders is one of those shows I cannot watch. I've never watched it. And I couldn't watch it. Anyway. Yeah, no, yeah, it's no. too disturbing. It's just too much, too much reality right there. People. And, are... and these, these two brothers, man, or at least the one of them, right? At the very least, I will say this about this because we had a situation here in in the neighborhood recently about a hoarder of who, people who hoarder animal hoard oh, animals right. and yes. things like that. <clears throat> Sorry, lots of cats. Cats. That uh, at least this wasn't like living things. Like they did well, it to they themselves. Did have, they did have cats in there. He did hoard. Well, the cats. I did, I'm assuming the cats just sort of like were like, ah, this is warm. Maybe, I'm gonna stay in here. Maybe they. Yeah. Uh, maybe they just walk in and out of broken windows. Or They're like this why. kerosene heater run by this Model right. T Ford. <laughs> Sounds great. So this is healthy for me. I'm gonna <laughs> there do was this. Plenty of rats and mice to find. He exactly. He just hoarded um, things that ultimately killed him. But you know, in the end, I don't want to sound. I mean, it's kind of like, well, you know, you did it to yourself. You didn't really hurt 
any one in particular that I'm I aware mean, of. I may, mean, maybe his brother, but well, we right, don't know. right, that's true, of course. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it depends if we go with the creepy route or the not creepy route. Well, I mean, okay, it's all creepy, but I mean, the really creepy route or the not really creepy route. Like, was was he really trying to care for his brother, or was this? And did Homer write all of this down? Yeah. But because of the massive amount of junk, it all just got thrown. Like that moment right. at the end of Citizen Kane where it's like burning, whatever, oh, right. you know, the, yeah. the sled's burning, the answer to the whole movie is burning. It's like, was Homer's manuscript, this is the truth the truth right. of Homer Collier as told by yep. Homer Collier. But, the, but they just threw it all out. You know what? I bet it. It's buried. When they find Hoffa, they're going to find the manuscript. They're going to find Homer's manuscript. Homer's manuscript. This is Help is Not on the Way with Mark Dustin and Kevin Bauman. Kevin Bauman. And next time, we're going to talk about Homer's Odyssey. (laughs) 